Welcome to another episode of the Crypto Basic Podcast. It's Brent Philbin. I'm here with Kareem Baruke and Adam Levy. And today we're going to be talking about the G20 report on stablecoins. That's it. That's all we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about why they may think that stablecoins are an existential threat to fiat currency. Now, I don't know if any of the current stablecoins are an existential threat. We're going to find out on this episode. We're going to go off on some tangents. Some are COVID-related. Most of them are just monetary policy related, and we are going to talk in depth about this paper. That's all we're talking about today. Now, I know you're used to kind of the flagship episodes and the news style quick blurbs episodes, but this episode is going to be the start of a return to longer form thoughts rather than the quick blurbs with the reactions. Now, the content, when I say longer form, I don't necessarily mean that the episodes are going to be longer. We're actually going to try to keep these episodes to about 30 minutes. So 20 to 30 minutes max, maybe a little bit over that. This one will go a little bit over because this one, you can skip ahead to like six or seven minutes in if you don't want to hear my whole rant on this. But this one will be a little bit longer. Otherwise, most of these episodes are going to be about 20, 30 minutes and they're going to be about one topic. So more often... You're going to get episodes from us start to finish, and they're going to be more targeted and in-depth. I think that that's what our listeners are looking for. Being honest with the listeners, we basically fell into a pattern of what was easy. And what is easy is reading articles, making fun of them, talking about how their titles are bad. And then busting on Justin Sun and Craig Wright a little bit. And then, all right, we wrap up an episode. But that's not why the podcast was founded. So as we were here with some time to reflect in the middle of this pandemic, we decided that it was time to up the ante. It was time to bring back the Crypto Basic Podcast episodes that you're used to, just with the longer form content. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be cranking out 101s every week, but we are going to up the episode content to two or three per week depending on what we can accomplish. We are going to be putting out episodes that are relevant, but will remain relevant forever. So they might be on current news events. They may also be on older events. They may also be on monetary policy. I can't even promise that we're not going to talk about random real stocks at some point. The operative thing to understand here is that the flagship is probably done as we know it. Now, I'd considered having like a quick... 10-minute rapid fire at the beginning of episodes, and I may still do that, you know, or not, I say I, it could be Adam, it could be me, it could be Kareem at the beginning of an episode just kind of talking about some of the cooler headlines of the day, but for the most part, I think we want to have the the longer form content that the listeners like. When we look at our statistics, when we look at the episodes that are consumed, the flagships are not consumed the most. They're the easiest for us to produce because they require the least amount of real research, but they do not catch the listeners as long as our 101s and even more so our episodes that are on concepts. If we go back to when we were doing episodes about game theory or episodes about cognitive biases, those episodes held the listeners' interest longer. So that's what we're going for. We're going to really try to do those kinds of episodes paired with the interviews that you can always expect from us. And the news episodes, while the flagship 
uh, it's funny to call it the flagship now because it's not really anything that we're going to be flagshipy about, but it may be relegated to YouTube. So make sure you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've never really paid that any mind, but articles and commenting on them and kind of showing things on them is a little bit better for YouTube content in my opinion. So if, if we do do anything with that, it will probably be there. Now, I don't know that we're going to do anything with that. Uh, crypto news is something people want. And if we were going from a strict SEO standpoint, we would probably turn into a crypto news channel. But our values and our goals and what we wanted the Crypto Basic Podcast to be are not aligned with that. So even though, you know, if I pull up SEM Rush, they're going to be telling me, uh, do this cryptocurrency news, cryptocurrency prices, cryptocurrency market cap. That's what everybody wants to hear. We are going to be just focusing on key aspects of cryptocurrency and we will then distribute that to you. So starting today, this is going to be the episode on the G20 stable coins report in the next couple of days. We're going to release an episode that is about the correlation between gold and other safe haven assets and Bitcoin. Is Bitcoin a safe haven asset? So that's what we you can look forward to. Uh, this is being released on Wednesday morning. You can look forward to that being released on Friday morning. And we will try to never miss another Friday episode. We will record every Thursday. And we will record at other times. So if you're a listener out there and you've got a topic you want to hear us cover in more detail, join our Discord. We, we do respond in the Discord. We do pull suggestions off on the Discord. This new content strategy did kind of come off the cuff. We we had all our stories. We were going to go with a flagship, and we just decided, you know what? Let's switch it up. Let's do this new thing. So join us on this new journey. We're going to kind of try to bump this up. We're going to do a little bit more content on the side, and we're going to have a few little bonuses here and there. Now, Patreon members, you can expect to get a, a couple of little extra pieces of this Patreon puzzle. And also, Crypto Basic subscribers, if you subscribe to our mailing list, which we've never done a thing with, we are going to start. You pop on over to CryptoBasicPodcast.com. You sign up for our email list. First thing you're going to get is my personal portfolio allocation in cryptocurrency. Now, that's been shared with those that are founding members and those that are Patreon subscribers. But it is yours if you're willing to give us your email address. So you get what you know, I'm not going to tell you how much I have in each of the coins, but you'll see what the allocation is. If you listen to the show all the time, you have a pretty good idea of what it would be, but that might be interesting for you to see. So uh, you can you can see that. You can get the newsletter content. That's where we may be putting more relevant pieces of the news, but where we're also going to tell you what our episodes were about when we released them. So thank you again for being a listener. And thank you for listening to that five, six-minute rant. It wasn't supposed to be that long, but I just wanted to keep everybody updated. And you can now jump on in to episode... What? I don't even know what number this is. Whatever. It's episode number one of the newer, older, longer-form Crypto Basic content with Adam Brent and Kareem. And it starts right now. I remember, <laughs> remember I, I emailed you guys. I'm like, guys, Tenet just got audited and they failed and they fired the auditor. This thing's going to blow up. We got to do an episode now. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, and the rest of the world's like, nah, we're cool with it. 
right, it's time for today's main topic. It is going to be the question on everyone's mind. Before we get to that, I'm here with Adam Levy. What's up, guys? And Kareem Baruke. Hey, everybody. And we are going to have a discussion on whether or not stablecoins are a systemic threat to the world. You guys ready? This is going to be a nice light topic. A systemic threat to the world. Yes. That escalated quickly. Jeez. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, the, the impetus for this was there was a paper that was put out by the G20 that was saying that stable or that was talking about stable coins. So I want to kind of go over this and here's the format that I think is going to be fun for this. First, do a quick recap of what stable coins are, what kind of categories they fall in. Then we're going to talk about the paper and summarize the paper's conclusions. And then we're going to go down to the recommendations that they give and see if we agree with them. There's 10 recommendations. So we'll we'll just kind of see what we think because I think we're going to agree in some spots and disagree on some spots with what the G20 has to say. And Brent, before you fire it off, because obviously we will always want to evaluate the source and the perspective, what is the G20? So G20 is the group of 20. It's the best name ever. It's an international (laughs) forum for governments and central bank governors from 19 countries. And of course, the European Union, which counts as one of them. The paper is actually coming from the FSB, which is not necessarily the G20, but it is a permanently invited member to the G20 summit. And the FSB is basically just the financial securities board or financial safety board. I don't remember. I should know the actual what that is. But the FSB is a part of the G20, but it's not necessarily the G20 itself. But the distinction is doesn't really matter. So that's where it's coming from. The source that I trusted for the recap, more or less, I didn't read the whole thing. This is a 70-page report that I didn't get to reading the whole thing. But Crypto News Slash was the source that I went ahead and kind of trusted their summary before I got into the pieces of the nitty-gritty that I wanted to get into. For what it's worth, this popped up on many different news sources. So it's like this is definitely a... uh... A big story this week, and yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty. It, I assume that it, it, it's mostly from any sort. Most sources you're getting, it's going to be the meat of the story and, and correct, right? So, quick recap on stablecoins. We have had episodes on Tether. We've had episodes on Tether Alternative. We've had episodes on the decentralized stablecoins. But they're to me, and I don't know if this is just the accepted number, but these are the three categories to me. There's your your tethers and the tether-like coins, which are the ones where you just kind of trust them, the trust-based stable coins, where they say they have the money, mm-hmm. they don't really audit it, and you have to just kind of believe that they have the money. And you trust that the market agrees that they have the money because the coins are worth a dollar. There's the middle ground step where it's some third party holding the money and they kind of get audited. So something like the Coinbase, the CUSD, or the Gemini dollar, or things like that. And both of them function the same way. It is, in theory, every one version of that stablecoin on the blockchain is backed by $1 in a bank somewhere. No fractional reserves originally was what it was supposed to be, but then Tether kind of is showing that they have fractional reserves, and the other ones are audited in different intervals. TUSD, trusted US dollars, another one. Finally, you have the decentralized finance stablecoins. Those are my preference personally. 
And they're the ones that use an algorithm that comes up with their value the same way a derivative would in the stock market. If you want to learn about how that algorithm works, we do have episodes on that that you can go back and check out. Link will be in the show notes. But the quick version is they use Ethereum to stabilize the dollar value with a smart contract. So you can be sure that it's going to be worth a dollar and you can be sure that it's all there and backed because you can look on the blockchain. And those have even been tested pretty heavily and their stablecoin value has held. So I'm pretty confident in their stablecoin value. So that's quick recap on stablecoin. Did I miss anything? Mm, I mean, I think that covers, that's a pretty wide umbrella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, I mean, we've got stablecoins from, we've got the Tron US dollar. Apparently they're creating like a version of the decentralized Stable coins on Tron, but Tron isn't decentralized at all. So it's not a whole lot different than than just somebody holding it. Uh, but I'm sure Justin Sun will plagiarize that white paper from the MakerDAO to no end. We'll see what happens there. Stable coins seem like it's like the new, to some extent, the new ICO craze where it's like, all right, there's been so successful. We got to make a stable coin and there's probably going to be a lot of bad ones out there that are not yeah, like I- you just said centralized or they're not decentralized and what could possibly be the incentive behind companies to be racing to see who gets to hold on to dollars uh yeah i mean again it's like you said that question i mean when you started with these three breakdowns the first category said the one where you have to trust the institution that they have the money right and it's like another way to frame that is that you have to trust them to not turn on their printing press that says free money right like just none of these institutions are going to do that. You, you can't have a printing machine. Stable coins are attractive if you could just say that it's all backed and nobody's going to audit you. You could just print money. Yep. That's the allure to the U.S. dollar in general. Not stable coins. This is like, <laughs> hey, we all get to be the Fed. Yeah. So that is the quick version of stable coins. I'm sure we'll do a deeper dive into those in the future. We've, we've talked about them a lot. Uh, in fact, I think our first, like, warning episode what do we call those the basic blitzes yeah. was about tether we were sure it was going to implode like any like second three years now ago. yeah i remember, <laughs> remember I, I emailed you guys i'm like guys tether just got audited and they failed and they fired the auditor this thing's gonna blow up we got to do an episode now <laughs> <laughs> and everybody and the rest of the world's like nah we're cool with it <laughs> yeah everybody's, everybody's fine with all of these things that happen with tether so let's see what the g20 thinks about this The summary of the paper is that they do not have mostly not good things to say about this. They consider stablecoins a systemic threat and suggest that if local authorities, whatever that locality may be, lack the understanding of how to regulate the coins, they should be banned entirely. Not like figure out the regulation or anything like if you don't know what to do, ban them. (laughs) That's kind of not that's not necessarily something I agree with. They also cite a risk that these stable coins could replace domestic currencies in the world, which is interesting to me that they came to that conclusion because we kind of think that about crypto and, you know, in a very far future. But I hadn't considered it for just digital versions of the already existing fiat money. But I guess people will go with what they know. So I understand why they could come to that conclusion. They also do recognize that stablecoins have a potential to contribute to the development of a global payment system. So in saying that they could replace domestic currencies as a risk, they give the reason of, yeah, this makes sense that these could replace those because 
They contribute to the development of a global payment system. And they could give unbanked access to relatively stable currency, which is something that the unbanked kind of need across the world. But of course, that provides risk to non-US dollar countries if the adoption is of a US dollar stablecoin. So the next recommendation as part of this process is they say that authorities worldwide should increase cooperation between agencies and allow exchange of sensitive information between them so that they can figure out how to regulate it. So remember, they're saying you should ban this if you don't understand it. And also you should figure out how to exchange sensitive information with other countries so everybody can understand how to regulate it, which is kind of interesting. That's not something countries like to do. They don't like to give sensitive information to each other. So that's kind of a rosy future world that they're coming up with, but they are tasked with coming up with unbiased information. So I guess if you're taking all the biases out of the world where people won't do that, that makes sense. Finally, this is interesting. At the moment, they don't believe there's any stablecoin that actually does present a threat to worldwide user base and replacing domestic currencies at all. And that's everything that exists now. But they do imply that with a big user base, that there could be a threat. And I don't think it was named by name, at least my control F Libra did not find it, but I believe they're implying that Libra is the threat because that has the widest user base with Facebook. So Right. Potential user base. And it's true because WhatsApp is all over the world. Facebook is all over the world. Yeah. So that's the basic summary and thesis of the entire paper. And there's they do break down, like I said, 67 pages long of reasons and ways that this goes. I mean, at the beginning of it, they also ask questions of the public for every one of their sections. Please send us your answers to these questions, which will kind of go over their conclusions and see if we agree with them or we can just pass if we don't have enough information on what their conclusions are. But the questions exist and we'll have a link in the show notes where you can go to submit your answers to the FSB about this paper, whether you agree or disagree, if you were inclined to do so. But uh, let's, all right, we'll do the recommendations one by one and see kind of how we feel about these. Uh, So recommendation number one, authorities should have and utilize the necessary powers and tools, the adequate resources to comprehensively regulate, supervise, and oversee a GSC, which is what their GSC is global stable coin is what they're referring to as. So for the rest of the episode, if I read GSC, that's what I'm talking about. Oversee a GSC arrangement and its multifunctional activities and enforce relevant laws and regulations effectively. So this is back to the piece where you should be able to regulate it. So how do we feel about that regulation suggestion in our crypto anarchist space? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Like we've talked about this before. Regulation to a certain extent is going to be necessary. Here's the thing about stable coins. What stable coins are really claiming to do is to stay stable to a particular fiat, right? Like, well, I guess Libra wants to have a basket of currencies, but then that's what they're talking about, having some kind of global peg to the monetary supply, which is the main thing that a lot of these countries derive their power and ability from, right? Like a lot of the struggles that happen in Europe because of the euro is because a bunch of countries gave up their ability to control their money supply. Now you have this big uh, euro supply and some people feel like it's not responsive, right? So what they're really worried about here is another entity having that kind of, uh, I don't know, let's say relation, leverage, control, I don't know. But 
what I was going to say is like, if you're trying to peg it to the actual monetary currency, I don't have, it's not surprising that the countries are going to really care and have this heavily regulated. I would rather see something like a Bitcoin standard anyway, right? Like I don't care about the stability to fiat currency. It would be great to see cryptocurrencies flourish and be used regularly that are not designed to stay stable with fiat. Right. Yeah. That's like our rosy future outcome, right? Like we want to see Bitcoin be the thing that everybody thinks in. That seems so far away. No, of course. Of course. But I'm saying like they're claiming independent value. You know what I'm saying? Like Bitcoin's value is coming from Bitcoin in and of itself. But like if your project or if that project says the value of this coin is that it's a dollar, the value of this coin, it's that it's a dollar plus a yen divided by two. Well, then don't be surprised that the people that make dollars and yens are going to want to have a lot to say about what your project's doing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like, makes sense. So I think we agree that they there should be regulation in some fashion, but we need to be careful on what that regulation is for Section 1, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I also think that it is it is interesting, and I never really thought about that with the U.S. with like all these coins that are stable coins that they're they're pegged to the USD, you know, and and for certain countries that might be kind of weird to be pegged to the USD or or like you know like and and even just picking a few coins like like or few global currencies like Libra wants to do, it's just like. Kind of, uh, I mean, right now, what happens, you know, if there is a massive fallout in the economy or the global economy and stuff? Like, how does that affect these coins now? And now it's like kind of like, I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, if the project is designed to be stable, it's really being stable in the unit of measurement that it's being kind of pegged to. So if, let's say, the basket of currencies, there's a global economy where all these fiat currencies are devaluating, then my guess is Libra would be devaluating just as quickly. Libra is reflecting its maintaining stable with everything else, which here's the thing. If you're coming at cryptocurrency from the perspective that one of the underlying flaws in our system is that we have unaccounted for private central banks printing money to oblivion whenever they want to for whatever purposes they want to and giving it to their buddies and devaluing the currency, then like having something pegged to the to the currency is not that uh it's redundant but, attractive at all. Exactly. Yeah. I mean but look it solves all the problems. I get that, right? Like it's much easier to write checks in something that's quote unquote stable than in something that's volatile like Bitcoin. And we're seeing in like this post COVID world what the volatility could bring there's lots of interesting things happening. I, I know, Kareem, that we're doing a whole episode basically on this with you. But the idea that the U.S. is selling or is basically selling the dollar to everybody as they're printing it at the same time is and creating this weird global inflation of every currency while we just released the amount of money that is greater than all four quantitative easings combined is like kind of mind blowing to see it all happen. And it's hard to it's hard to picture where that goes other than massive inflation. But quantitative easing didn't cause massive inflation. So I don't really know. I'm not an economist. I understand how this stuff's all going to well, play out. See, this is the problem, though, is because how do we measure inflation? There's a lot of arguments to be made that there was inflation, but we only see in, with certain assets, right? Like the stock market going up and up and up is a form of asset inflation. The fact that real estate is mostly at an all-time high, is a form of asset inflation, right? Like 
college tuition has also gone dramatically in prices. So in a lot of healthcare costs have risen dramatically. So just because TVs, for example, or PlayStations or clothing has remained flat or lowered in price doesn't mean that there hasn't been incredible inflation in a lot of assets that people have to consume anyway. Also, I I think maybe even yesterday we're starting yesterday was interesting the WWE had to lay off a bunch of people you know like so it's been and granted i know that the XFL went bankrupt yesterday too that's what i mean like WWE is basically like a you know 7th or 8th like professional sports league i mean granted it's you know obviously but my point is is that we're not seeing the pillars falling the dominoes falling right away it's now it's been a month and change and now WWE's like we have to lay off some people. Like what's gonna happen? Uh I saw something with Airbnb or whatever, where there's so many these like vacant like a lot of people have like properties that they own, like ten properties, and now they can't get anyone to get in these properties, but they have to keep up with their mortgage payment or whatever. And it's like I think that maybe it's possible that we're just not seeing the inflation because not enough time has elapsed yet. And once these things kind of like you know, other things start happening, we might start seeing severe. And I, I hope not. I mean, I hope what you're saying, like, like that maybe we don't understand eco- uh, economics or sorry. <laughs> <laughs> economics. Economics oh, is God. some complicated. What is going guys? on? I mean, economics is a great DJ name, by the way. And listen, economics. there's another case to be made. Economics. Here about, I don't know what happened. I think my brain broke. There's another case to be made about U.S. inflation, which is I think we've mentioned this before on the show, but basically the United States is in a kind of unique situation, right? If you are Venezuela, if you are Zimbabwe, and you start printing a ton of money, well, it's like you're in a very small room and you're increasing the water supply, right? So like you're going to flood it very quickly. How many people use Zimbabwe dollars or the Venezuelan peso outside of Venezuela or Zimbabwe? The answer is not that many. The entire supply is right there. And once you start increasing it, it's you can feel that it's uh, devaluating. What's interesting with the United States is that literally, because it's the world's reserve asset, people all over the world, governments, institutions all over the world have dollars, right? So when the United States government starts printing dollars, it's not just a bunch of dollars sitting in the United States. People have uh, debts, real estate, entire wealth management funds in China, South, you know, South Korea, Colombia, everywhere over the world. There's American investors, American businesses. People have borrowed money from American institutions. There's a ton of governments that have bought American treasuries, right? So America can keep printing the dollar. And since it's like everywhere, it's spread out throughout the world. We don't feel the inflation as much. Theoretically, there's a limit to that. But you know, the reality is we're in a unique situation as far as being able to print. Yep. And we're not that far removed from a gold standard. So it's uh, it's an interesting kind of experiment. It has been what, 50, 60 years maybe since we stopped doing gold as a backing currency. That's right. That's right. So anyway, we've, we're getting well, way off topic. Since, on these- real quick, real quick. Since we temporarily halted the trading of the dollar into gold. Brent, we te- temporarily and never look back, but you know, right any yes. minute now, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's coming any, any day now. We'll, we'll just peg it right back there. That's fine. So, there were 10 sections of these, but there's a lot of overlap. So, I'm just gonna keep going. Section two is authorities should apply regulatory requirements to GSC arrangements on a functional basis and proportionate to their risks. That's basically 
how we agreed with number one. So I actually totally think we agree with number two that it's based proportionally to the risk that the stable currency would create. Like there's bigger risk in one where it's just Tether saying, yeah, we got this. It's yeah, fine. That's right. Then there is in a maker DAO, although you may think that the die has a bigger risk because it's part of computer code. Number three is authorities should ensure that there's a comprehensive regulation supervision oversight of the GSE across borders and sectors. They should cooperate and coordinate with each other, both domestically and internationally, to foster efficient, effective communication. This is what we're saying about sharing the uh, sensitive information. I don't see a world where countries are sharing sensitive information about their citizens with other people. Not only that, dude, but this is completely asymmetric. You know what I'm saying? Like, this powerful nations, like, there are powerful surveillance states like China, the United States, and England. Scientology. Yeah, and there are like <laughs> there are countries that like don't have powerful surveillance states. So it's even like the idea of sharing information. I don't know. It's look, we've talked before. We are gonna at some point move closer and closer to a world government. And this is something that you've talked about before, Brian. And yes. looking at this corona situation, it's making it a little bit more clear, too. You could say whatever you want. You could have the most nationalistic American president who is totally saying America only, blah, 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 this and that. And guess what? A virus starts in China. It's going to be here a couple of weeks later. It's going to be all over the world because we're too connected. And I think events like this are going to convince people that some stuff is going to have to go broader. Climate change is going to be like this too, guys. They're, we're warning about it, warning about it. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of like real shit's going to start going down. You know, like cities are going to get flooded and then you're going to have like mass migrations. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, crap. And you're going to realize that the standards need to be global because everybody's affecting each other. So the borders are pretty arbitrary. It's like, what is, is there yeah, really like why over here and why over there is a different country? And why should why do I have to go through such a rigorous process to get into that piece of land? You know, that territory. It's kind of ridiculous, but I mean, it may it makes sense for a different time period. Yeah, but the, the problem, of course, is representation, you know, because if we do have a world government and let's say that you are. You live in the Middle East or you live in Southeast Asia or you live in Africa, you know damn well that the global laws are going to be made in Brussels and New York and yeah. Beijing and that your people. And so it just gets complicated. That's why people don't want to respond. And and, and to kind of like uh, counter the point of anatomy borders, like look at what happened with, you know, I think it was France. They allowed a bunch of refugees, which is great, you know, allowing and and, um, and then there became like these kind of slums in the middle of France causing like like a lot of crime, a lot of problems and just like just it, because it, it was like all these refugees from certain uh countries Probably I'm not Syria, sure which we from were Syria Smithereens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like and it's like all of a sudden now France has to deal with this because they had open borders which is fine. You know, but also now it's like that's a risk that you take. And also think about if we couldn't close borders like for coronavirus yeah, but I mean, look, it's also, I feel like there is some kind of gray area, you know, where I understand it's not open borders, the same laws for everybody or closed borders. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have laws that, yeah. okay, everybody has to abide by this law, but you can still have borders. You can still have countries. You can still have different types of laws in different places. Maybe there will be governments that don't want to legalize marijuana. Maybe there will be governments where it's legal to marry multiple people and some other ones where it's not. Okay, but maybe there has to be more global rules about things like 
uh, bioweapons or carbon emissions or water pollution or whatever. Yeah, wearing masks when, when <laughs> yeah. told, you know, like that kind uh, of wet thing, markets, yeah. right? Like now the whole world's freaking out with China, right? That's that's an internal policy of China, uh, but everybody is being affected. It's okay. They said you don't. They're not allowed to eat dogs anymore. So that they did. They did pass that during all this. So that does make big. me a little happier. <laughs> As Kareem looks down at his at his puppy, I literally just look down at my little guy, bro. <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm reading more of these. There's a lot of overlap about the regulations and a lot of it is saying that it needs to be proportional to the thing i I should have read these over before i put them in i thought we would go over these live and get live reactions i thought they'd be a little bit more varied because they put 10 of them they're a lot of the same thing so it's the d20 uh, brent it's not an entertainment complex yeah hey listen (laughs) so a couple more that we could either agree or disagree with authorities should ensure that the gsc arrangements have in place robust systems for safeguarding collecting storing and managing data i feel like that one is accurate and we should probably agree that they should have robust systems for storing that stuff which we don't see necessarily with these constant data leaks and what happens when people do not manage your data properly so there's ways to do that and there's ways that you know i think i've told the story before but the dnc is a prime example of a group that mishandled all all of this data right they hired one of the world's best hackers as a consultant to tell them what they needed to do to protect themselves. The hacker came back with two recommendations, two-factor authentication and self-host your files on G Suite. Two easy recommendations, right? They didn't do either one of them, and they got hacked. So it was like, it's really tough to get big organizations to do the measures needed because they just get annoyed at two-factor authentication. It takes too long, that kind of thing. Dude, so. And what's what's absurd about that stuff is that it also shows... Like when you hear about something like, oh, well, the Russians and this hacking unit came in and were able to get in, break into this group or that group or that computer, and it always sounds super high tech. And look, I don't doubt by any means that the Russians have some amazing hackers, but ultimately it wasn't their amazing hackers. It was just lazy, ignorant people not taking their security seriously. It's And it's so often, this is what hacks are really about like that's why we talk about this so much on crypto basic because look if somebody really wants to hack you personally like you're probably screwed if it's somebody that knows what they're doing there's not much you could do against a targeted attack but most people just get caught by being bumbling and not being serious and they get caught in fish attacks or whatever right hacking <laughs> is, is, a, is a funny word because it's like it means so much like a fish attack is considered a hack you know mm-hmm. all you did was really click on a link you know in your email and it's like, that's hacked, you know? So you're completely right about that. We all just need to be way better about our own security. And so does the world if they're talking about our data and they're talking about our money. I agree with that. And Tether does not comply with good security arrangements as far as like letting things know whether they their money's there or not. So the next one is right along this case. Authorities should ensure that GSC arrangements have appropriate recovery and resolution plans. So that you can cash out your money for your money if you want to. They're saying that they need to have this. So the the theme here in all of these suggestions is I don't think any of these are really that out of line. Even though, principally, I disagree with the notion that stablecoins are some sort of existential threat to the world. Because we already have them. Like the stablecoins are just broadcasting what, we, what already exists, you know? like Okay, but, but I'm going to make one argument, right? Which is... They're an existential threat 
from the perspective of the author, if the author is the G20, and if we assume, like, let's say a lot of people feel that one of the main powers that these people have is the control of the money supply, that they can just print money into existence and essentially get to the side where it goes, gives them tremendous amount of power. And any suction of that power represents an existential threat to the entity that has that power. Yeah, I, I understand that they would come to that conclusion, whether we agree with it or not, makes also sense. So it stuff like this is interesting. I think I'm going to wrap up the, the, the suggestions here that they're giving, because I think we all kind of, they're the same. We're going to be saying the same thing about all these. The questions for the public, I'm going to read through them. We don't need to necessarily respond to any of them. But if you want to go respond to these, there is an open forum for these questions. Do you agree with the analysis of the characteristics of stablecoins that distinguish them from other crypto assets? Actually, whatever. Quick, rapid-fire response to these questions. Yes or no? Do you agree with the analysis of the characteristics, even though we don't know what they are, that they're different from other crypto assets of stablecoins? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Are stabilization mechanisms, other than the ones described, that may have implications of the analysis of risks? Never mind. Fuck that question. Now, question three. Does the FSB properly identify the functions of what well, we don't know? We didn't read the whole paper. Never mind. I'm <laughs> skipping the questions. You want to read them? You can you can get them in the show notes. I'm sorry. That was a dumb we'll question. We'll just answer dumb. yes to all of them. We probably will. We're going to agree with most of these questions. So if you have questions, if you want us to respond to your questions, whether it be about stable coins or anything, email us cryptobasicpodcast at gmail.com or you can submit the question on cryptobasicpodcast.com and get the question there. We are not financial advisors. We will throw mailbags in at the end of these episodes when we get them and make sure you understand this is all for entertainment purposes only. All right. Any parting words? Nope. Any minute now, guys, tether's going down. So make sure you get rid of your tether. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, yeah, let's <laughs> just uh, Kareem has already turned into a skeleton at the computer waiting for <laughs> tether. To be so uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is a little silver lining or just interesting because We've been doing this for a while now, and uh, hey, let's take a moment to note that the G20 is now writing papers on stablecoins. Yeah. That's where we are. Like, it's not ignoring, it's not irrelevant. It's like- We've made noise. Acknowledging, you know, warning about, so- We're even getting sensationalist headlines. Sensationalist headlines. Whoa, That's how you know you've made, made it. it. In, in, an age, in an age of very, very sober headlines, crypto gets- sensationalist headlines (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks for listening and join our discord if you want to participate in the chat link is on cryptobasicpodcast.com or in the show notes we'll see you there